This podcast is part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Programme and is brought to you with the support of BPI France. You're listening to the Fintech Podcast, the show that goes deep into the stories, the successes and failures that went into creating some of the world's most fantastic fintechs. Gotkin, and in this episode, how being bad at banking led Nick Bortot to found Bucks, Europe's answer to Robin Hood. Uh, I was actually fired at, at Citibank after after one and a half years, and I still remember that my boss back then told me, "Like Nick, you're a great guy, but uh, my strong advice is to not uh, not look for your next job in the financial industry." Nick Bortot, founder and board member of Bucks, thanks so much for joining me on the FN Tech podcast. Yeah, really great to be here, Elliot. Thanks so much for uh, for the invitation. This is a, an audio podcast, but I can see that you're in gleaming white there. Um, you off to the tennis courts after this? Yes, yes, yes. So I, I recently uh, gave over the helm of the company to uh, to another uh, uh, founder of the company. Um, and um, my wife used to play professional tennis a long time ago, and I, I've never played tennis, so I'm taking two lessons a week now. And my goal is to, uh, I'm 48 eight now, so my goal is uh, before my 50th birthday to, to beat her in a, in a tennis game. <laughs> well, that's a good, a good ambition. Uh, I guess that's one of the perks of, of no longer being CEO. So now you can uh, have more time to spend with your family. But um, tell us about Bucks to begin with. I mean, I, I introduced this as Europe's answer to Robin Hood. Is that how you would, uh, how you would count it? Absolutely. Maybe, maybe a little more serious because... At the end, I think we should teach people and we how to invest and take them by the hand. I mean, if you look at at, at uh, the macroeconomic circumstances, then uh, back in the days, investing was a nice to have, uh, uh, more of a hobby for many people. But nowadays, it's, it's for the younger generations, it's a must-have. Um, and I think by just offering an app where you can buy and sell shares or, or options or other instruments, that that's not enough. It's basically giving people a, a car without giving them a driving license. So we're doing more. We're also g- giving education. Uh, we're, uh, we're not allowing people to, uh, to invest in uh, or to trade in, in very, um, very risky uh, instruments. So uh, we're trying to be, let's say, the, uh, the, the Neo Broker 2.0. And is your business model similar? Because Robinhood's come in for a lot of criticism for kind of selling its deal flow as a way of enabling people on the app to be able to trade without paying for trading or paying commission or anything like that. Is yours a similar model? No, no, because in Europe, that's, that's not allowed. Um, under MIFID 2, under the, the uh, Pan-European Securities Regulation, it's not allowed to sell your order flow. So we have we have a, a quite a, a straightforward model. Uh, we, we don't charge for... A, 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 Transactions are, that are being executed at the end of the day. If you want to have your transaction executed immediately, you pay one euro. Uh, and also, we uh, we charge a, uh, a markup on the FX uh, fee when you buy or sell U.S. shares or non-European shares. Um, and we recently introduced a subscription model. And I think that's where brokerage should go because if you look at at uh, uh, online brokerage, there's a kind of conflict of interest because, I mean, it, it, all research says that it's not good for people to overtrade, to do too many trades. 
Whereas as a broker, you're relying on the number of trades that people do. So I'm, I'm much more in favor of a, of a, uh, a subscription model instead of, uh, of charging people per trade or getting a, a kickback per transaction. And beyond the, I suppose, more ethical way of doing things in the sense that, you know, you don't have a conflict of interest in terms of what your customers are doing potentially and, and you know, selling the order flow, uh, even though it's illegal in Europe. I mean, would you say that that is a financially better business model in terms of profitability than the model employed uh, over in the US by many brokers such as Robinhood? Definitely, because it's, it's a more predictable model. Um, I mean, subscriptions are, are obviously more predictable than, than being uh, reliant on uh, being depending on, uh, on, on, on orders. Uh, I mean, it, it's great when you had a, have, have a period like we had last year where, where the, the, the markets were going going wild. But now, for example, markets are, are, are much quieter. Um, so, so you kind of prevent these these big P and L swings when you when you uh, uh, have a subscription model. Cause, so, yeah, once again, I think that's the way a uh, uh, broker should uh, should uh, go uh, forward. Right, and, and earlier, um, I mean, you talked about how. Uh, crazy things were during the pandemic. I, I think you had some pretty explosive growth. Hopefully you can give us some of the details, but I think you also raised uh, $80 million uh, more uh, earlier this year. Can you give us some more details about the fundraisings, about the kind of growth that you experienced uh, during the pandemic when everything was going crazy? Yeah, so so we started Bucks uh, seven years ago, but we only launched our, our zero commission app uh, in September 2019. So that was just before the pandemic. And in the beginning, growth was already really good because uh, zero commission is new in Europe. The app is, is really, really nice, beautiful app, works, works like a charm. Um, and then the pandemic started and, and, and growth just uh, just skyrocketed. I mean, we, uh, we, we, we doubled transactions or we tripled transactions every month. Um, so we started talking to a number of investors. And at the end, uh, we, we were, let's say, most charmed by, by process and by Tencent. So uh, they were the lead investors in, uh, in, in our last uh, funding round that we closed uh, in April of this year. And were you kind of riding on uh, similar waves, obviously, to, to what Robinhood and the like uh, were riding on? I mean, people know where to spend their money, uh, people sitting on perhaps the stimulus checks and uh, those who were lucky enough to hold on to their jobs uh, looking for somewhere to put their money because they're not getting any interest uh, in the bank. Um, were these all kind of similar things that were were feeding into growth for, for, for bucks? Of course. Of course. On the one hand, there are the, the, these macroeconomic circumstances, there's the pandemic, so that, that definitely uh, uh, helped us. But on the other hand, uh, I would say that the USP of bucks is that we build a, a very nimble and modular system that allows us to roll out very quickly throughout Europe. Because that's, that's something uh, many people forget. Europe is not the same as the U.S., and the U.S. is one big country uh, with, with, with one uh, regulation. In Europe, there are 27 nations, and every country is different. So payment systems are different. Uh, I mean, deposit methods, uh, IDs are different. Uh, taxation is different. So, so there is pan-European securities regulation. But apart from that, every country has its specifics. And if you want to roll out quickly throughout Europe, you need to have a nimble system that allows you to to, to adapt to, to, to all these specific requirements per country. And that's what, what Process and, uh, and Tencent really liked about Bucks. And, and I mean, unless I'm mistaken, I think the meme stock 
uh, kind of craze has maybe passed Europe by or hasn't come to Europe just yet, certainly not in the way that we've seen in in the United States. Is that something that you have uh, seen also uh, boosting volumes and and thereby, you know, uh, uh, revenues for um, for bucks? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So so when the pandemic started, it it, it was crazy, of course, last year in, in March. And then we had GameStop in January of, of this year. So um, I think in the, in the US, 40% of all, all uh, uh, people invest, 40% of, of, of uh, all, all consumers. In Europe, that's just 15%. But that 15% is, is rising dramatically. Uh, so I think we're, I'm always talking about what I call the Americanization of the European investment landscape. And we're, we're going to much, much more American uh, way of investing where people have to invest for their pensions. I mean, the pension systems in Europe are not sustainable because they were designed after the Second World War or when the population was growing. But we see an aging population now. So, so the younger generations have to start taking care of their own financial future. And that's why investing is becoming so much more important nowadays. And in terms of investments, into Bucks itself, you mentioned, uh, I think, Tencent and, and some of your other investors just before. Can you just uh, share with us uh, what you've raised so far and, and if the valuation, if it's uh, publicly disclosable, uh, where, where you're at? Uh, the valuation we don't disclose. Um, and we've raised, um, from the top of my head, I think around uh, $120 million uh, uh, so far. Um, but but it is still a, a pretty crowded field. I think in May, Trade Republic in Germany raised almost a billion dollars at a near five billion dollar valuation. eToro, uh, based in Israel, set to go public at around ten billion dollar valuation. You've got near banks like Revolut also operating in the space. So so what is what is different about Bucks um, in terms of you know why people would would come to you as opposed to you know one of these other options? Or maybe there's just room for all of you and you're all going to do great. Yeah, so, so first of all, this is not a winner-takes-all market. Uh, keep in mind that, that Europe is big. I mean, there are 450, 500 million people living in Europe, so Europe is huge. Um, and, and, and this, this, this effect or this, this impact of low interest, of, of, of non-sustainable pensions, are, you, you see that all over Europe. So there's a lot of appetite for investing uh, in Europe. Um, but at the end, you, you definitely need to need to distinguish yourself. Um, so so just offering zero commission and uh, offering a nice app is, is, is not enough anymore. I mean, you uh, and, and we really believe in the angle of education, of taking people by the hand, because there are loads of new investors, new retail investors coming to the market nowadays, and and, and a lot of them don't have a clue what to do. Uh, they also don't understand the difference between speculating and investing. And investing means like putting putting a fixed amount of, of money aside every month, for example, and investing in an ETF, ETFs. And it's not like let's let's put five thousand euros in Tesla. That's not investing. So that's really what we need to to uh, to help uh, these people with, and that's 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 our goal. And it sounds almost that I, uh, we, uh, that your model is almost moving towards more like uh, I think Stash in the United States, where it's kind of more educational subscription model. Also, um, and not you know encouraging longer term investment rather than just speculation. Definitely, yes, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, people can always buy buy a share when when they want to. And I mean, investing is not just uh, it, it's on the one hand a serious thing. On the other hand, investing is also fun. I mean, why I like investing so much is because you learn a lot from it. Because the, the the financial markets reflect what's going on in the world. So by investing, you learn a lot about what's going on. 
So I'm not saying that people should not buy a share of Tesla, but I'm saying don't put all your eggs in one, into one basket. And, and that's what we try to teach people. And does owning a broker, I know you, you bought uh, uh, one of the brokers you were working with. Uh, you can perhaps tell us the, the what, what led to that, but does that also give you an edge over other uh, trading apps? Yeah, so maybe for your uh, for the audience, we we, we run two. Uh, we have two apps. Um, so when we started seven years ago, back then the execution price of a, of, a, of a stock trade was still too high to offer zero commission. So what we did is instead we we offer derivatives, and not be, because we like leverage so much, but when you uh, when you trade derivatives on your own book as a broker, you can offer them in a really cheap way. So by doing that, we were one of the first brokers to offer uh, a trading in a very cheap and a very uh, yeah, a, a way that really fitted the young generations. We were the first ones to offer fractional investing, for example. Um, what I learned from, from the, the company I worked for before, from, from a company called Dink, which was the first online broker in the Netherlands, is that if you start your fintech and you do everything from A to Z, so front end, back end, everything, regulation related, it's, it's very hard. So we teamed up with a London broker, uh, a broker called Ayondo, and uh, uh, we took care of the front end of marketing, customer support, and they took care of the back end administration and everything regulation related. Uh, but then we became so big, uh, we, we did 70% 70, 70 of their revenues. So uh, it was a, a risk to us. So we basically bought them, which was quite a, um, uh, an exciting period because they it's, it's a strange story but they just IPO'd in Singapore so um, it, was, it was a very very complex uh, acquisition although it was not a huge acquisition it was very complex so nerve-wracking so to say um, but we bought them and, and it definitely gives us an advantage because we have the, uh, the, the the full stack now we, we basically have all the technology we have the licenses and that that, that definitely gives us an advantage and uh, am I correct in understanding that, that it wasn't just, yeah, it, it gives an advantage to buy this broker. The broker also kind of found itself in a bit of a corner and you kind of felt you had to kind of take them over? Yeah, the, uh, the, 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 the financial health at that moment was, was not great anymore. I mean, the, the, the IPO sucked up a lot of, a lot of money. Uh, they, uh, they were uh, um, active in multiple fields, so B2B, B2C, different countries. Um, so, um, yeah, that was, I mean, and, and, and they were very ambitious themselves. So, so it was also a quite an emotional thing for them to let go of their business. Right. And, uh, you founded Bucks in, um, 2013, uh, I think, but obviously you yeah. had a life before that. Uh, you're, you're in the Netherlands now you, you're, you're born and bred uh, Dutchman. Um, I'm I'm a Dutchman. My father is Italian. Uh, my mother is Dutch. Um, so uh, yeah, I started. I mean, I mean, I I, I, uh, I uh, studied business administration. Uh, then I went traveling. Came back broke, like many people uh, uh, do after traveling for uh, for half a year through uh, to Southeast Asia. Uh, and then I decided to start working for a bank because banks make money, or back back then they uh, they they did at least. Uh, so I started working for Citibank. Uh, I was offered a really great traineeship at Citibank, traveling the uh, the whole world. But I soon discovered that um, uh, that uh, the corporate world was not my thing. Uh, I was actually fired at, at Citibank after after one and a half years. And I still remember that my boss back then told me, like, 
Nick, you're a great guy, but uh, my strong advice is to not uh, not look for your next job in the financial industry. But I have did a you kind do, of did you do something? Did you do something, or that that, requ- that that made them fire you, or was it just they were letting people go and you were one of the? No, no, I I mean I was just I, I didn't fit into the political uh, system. I I think yeah. So yeah, no, no, it was not a big uh, big. Uh, no, not a, not a big fire around. No, definitely not. It was just just me. And then I, I mean, I remember when I was working, uh, doing a training for Citibank in New York on on television. I saw ads of of online brokers, and that was something that did not exist yet in in Europe. So uh, when I uh, when I was fired, I decided to start my own online broker, but I, I hardly had any any experience. I was twenty five back then. So I was very lucky to run into two guys who, uh, who wanted to start a broker who had a little bit more experience than I had and who also had some uh, access to, to money. So they started a broker and I was one of their first employees. That was in 2000. Um, and that was an amazing ride. I mean, that company was called Bing Bank. Uh, back then, Bing, because we didn't have a banking license yet. Um, and there was a, a crazy ride from, from zero to, uh, to uh, we were actually the first first Dutch unicorn and we, we IPO'd and uh, the company was valued at 1.3 billion uh, before the crisis. And when you were working there, I mean, did you all the time have this itch that, you know, it's great, but you really wanted to be, you wanted it to be your company. It must've felt a bit galling to kind of be, yeah. kind of have had the idea maybe, and then just not have been able to, um, to have made yeah, it work I mean, yourself. The, the great thing is that these guys really gave, gave us the feeling that it was our, our company as well. Obviously, we also owned, owned options. Um, I remember after uh, after been, being with the company for, uh, I think, uh, four years, uh, they asked me to go to, to Belgium uh, just with a laptop, with, uh, with my phone, and uh, to, to, to start Bink in Belgium. And that basically was my first entrepreneurial uh, adventure. So... I really, really learned how to uh, how to uh, how to how to build a company with them, and that was a really good exercise for building my own company uh, as of uh, 2013. Right, and so at what point uh, at uh, Bing did you decide, okay, I'm ready now. Um, I can do this. Uh, I'm going to do this on my own, and I'm going to I'm going to make something happen. Yeah. So what happened? So, so the company was uh, we we IPO the company Bing, um, and then uh, we also uh, had, had a banking license. We acquired our largest competitor, so that's when we became worth over a billion. Um, and then one of the founders left and asked me to take over uh, his his place in the uh, the executive board. Um, and then he started a new company again, and and some other people that I worked with closely started new companies again. And then I realized that that being on the board of a listed company was not really my thing. Um, I learned a lot, uh, but but it was I mean the guys who were, were reporting into me were doing the fun things. They were creating the product. They were doing all the advertising campaigns, and I was really, yeah, I was really basically looking after the company, but but more from a risk and from from a compliance point of view. Um, so then I decided I'm going I'm going to. Uh, uh, to finalize my 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 term as as a board member, and then uh, I'm going to start my company. So I wait I waited for another year, and then I uh, I started. And was the idea to I mean you kind of compete with them in a way, don't you? Or at least perhaps you did with yeah, to begin with. I would if if 
back then we were super innovative, but if 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 you if you look at the company now, it's 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 really what I call a legacy broker versus we, we call ourselves neo brokers. Um, if you look at legacy brokers in Europe, and every country has one or two of them, then you see that they're very very web based. Their uh, their their clients are fifty years and older on an average, and they don't really understand what mobile is about. So. Um, and, and also, they, they they present investing as a complex thing, whereas if if you go to 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 the the very basics of investing, investing is not that difficult. It, it's it's spreading your money. It's 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 investing on a, on a, on a regular basis. Um, so I was a bit frustrated by the fact that there were so many people who wanted to invest. Uh, but if if but if in the Netherlands you look at the number of people back then, I'm talking about seven eight years ago. Who were actually investing? It was just a small, uh, a small group. Um, so, so my idea and my ambition was to tap into this much larger market of people wanting to invest, but people who were held back by by the complexity and inconvenience of these these legacy platforms. And that's why I started Bucks. And if you look at Bucks, and if you compare us, our platform, our app, to the legacy brokers, it's 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 a completely different world. Okay, well, we're going to come back to Nick's story in just a moment. So uh, don't go away, uh, Nick, because I just need to remind our listeners that this podcast is part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Programme for 2021. And in this special pandemic period, you can enjoy throughout the year top-level live sessions with key industry players, exclusive on-demand interviews such as this one, and use our innovative digital networking capabilities to meet your peers, develop your network, create new business opportunities, and continue to build together the future of the fin and tech industry. And you can find Find out more at www.parisfintechforum.com. So, uh, Nick, you've kind of given us the, the lowdown of how you came to, to found Bucks, but I, I wanted to kind of get a little bit more of an understanding of, of where you came from originally, because uh, you said your, your father was from uh, Italy, from Sicily, I think. Uh, yeah, and he, correct. What, he, he, moved, he moved to the Netherlands, met your mother, and, and, and that's how you came to be Dutch? Yeah, so I was born in the Netherlands, uh, but my parents, actually, they, uh, they uh, separated uh, even before I was born. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, if sometimes you wonder, why am I working 80 hours a week and why am I trying to do this? Why am I building this company and why am I not uh, playing tennis like I just mentioned? We were talking about at the beginning of this, of this uh, podcast. And... Um, I met a lot of founders, and and what what I realized is that founders who uh, who were not raised by their natural father, but a biological father, have a have a kind of yeah urge to prove. Let's call it like that. So so when I was at Bing, uh, I was I was talking to my boss back then, and and there was also another guy who was in the management team, and basically the three of us were were, were running the front end of the company, um, and we were always there, always fighting competition and then when we, ha- we were having a beer we, we realized that we that we all grew up without a father so um um yeah i, I think i think there's there's like i said there's an urge to prove and the same thing as i mean there were a lot of companies started by 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 uh, uh kids of immigrants so so i think that we just go the extra mile we we want to uh to prove something. You told me uh, previously that uh, when your father did come over to the Netherlands, he, was it, he came with an uncle with a, with, and, and they set up an ice cream store? Yeah. 
yeah, that, that's a funny story. So yeah, my, my, my father came from Italy and uh, uh, his uncle uh, had an ice cream store in the south of the Netherlands. And that's where, uh, where he met my, uh, my mom. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good click, but unfortunately, uh, didn't, didn't last very long. But there was no kind of urge from your part to kind of, you know, go into ice cream rather than finance. I mean, what was it, what was it, about, what was it about finance that appealed? No, I guess more money, but less tasty. I don't know. I'm, I'm actually, I'm more of a marketeer than a, than a finance guy. So I, I really like B2C. I like to, to, to help customers, to seduce customers. Um, I'm, I'm not so much into super complex uh, financial uh, technology, so uh, I especially liked like the, uh, the the product and the uh, the marketing part of it. But at university, I, I think yeah, I saw you, you did an MA in international affairs. It wasn't like you did a kind of you know a business degree or, or something like that. Um, so I'm just wondering how you went from that into banking. Was it was it just that was where the the best money was? It was where the money was. Uh, I mean, I mean, an international uh, traineeship really, uh, uh, really attracted me. Um, yeah, and I, I, I yeah, like like a lot of students, I, I was a guy who didn't really know what what to do back then. So this was kind of uh, the option, uh, the, the most attractive option. Right. I mean, and you talked about having like a point to prove because um, almost to like your, your father that, that wasn't there. Um, do you think that that the same token was something that lay, led you down the path towards entrepreneurship? Was it needing to do it on your own rather than just succeeding? Because, of course, you could have succeeded in, in any other career, including, although not necessarily banking, according to your former boss at Citigroup, but perhaps in, in some other field. Uh, was the entrepreneurship something that particularly appealed because, you know, it's kind of all on you and, and this is like one of the best ways to, to kind of show that, that it's you that's achieving uh, what, what you're doing at the startup? Yeah, definitely. It just gives you the best, uh, uh, most recognition for for what you do because it's it's very, it's very binary, right? If you do things right, then then you immediately see the result. If if, if you do something wrong, then uh, then you see the result as well. So um, after yeah, after having having tasted the entrepreneurship, I would I would never uh, never want to go back in, in, into a, let's call it a regular uh, a regular role. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I encourage everyone to to start his or her own uh, own companies. I think it's 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 so much fun. It's 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 a lot of. Uh, it can be very stressful as well. I mean, uh, you you've been talking to a lot of entrepreneurs. So I'm sure that that's feedback you get as well. But um, uh, I think it was one of the the best things I've ever done in my life. And I'm sure I'm actually going uh, going on a um, on a on a. Uh, a, a sabbatical in, in Asia for uh, for two years now, but uh, after coming back, uh, I definitely want to uh, want to start an, an, another company. Well, um, so two years off and then uh, and then back uh, back to the grind. But I mean, how, just how hard was it to get bucks off the ground? Was it you know a complete nightmare? Were you getting doors slammed in your face the whole time from investors? Was it quite easy because of the background you already had at an online broker? Yeah, the, the interesting thing is that a lot of people say that that the early days of a startup are, are the hardest, and uh, I experienced it the other way. So when when we started, it was things went went relatively smooth. Uh, I had a I had a, uh, a, a kind of uh, a career already in, uh, in in online brokerage, so I had a good network. I knew some investors, 
So the, uh, let's say the first two or three years were uh, pretty, I wouldn't call it them easy, but, but quite a smooth ride. Um, and then uh, things got a bit more complex. Uh, regulation in Europe is getting getting tougher. Uh, so so I think it's harder to to to, to get licenses to to uh, uh, for example acquire another broker. I mean you also need approval from uh, from the regulator. So um, we started pretty smoothly, and then the company became more complex. Yeah, that's also one of the reasons. One of the reasons why. Um, why I handed over the uh, the helm of the company recently to to my colleague because at the end it's it's it top sport especially mentally. Um, I mean, I mean we're, we're not a company where there's a culture of of, of working like twelve hours a day, but in your head, um, it, it I mean, I mean ideas and 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 also concerns keep spinning around for twenty four hours a day. And uh, how do you compare life as a non-exec uh, board member versus being the CEO, aside from being able to go and play tennis and have lessons? Yeah, I think it's completely different. Like, because this, the fact that it goes on in your head for 24 hours a day is is, 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 is tough. I mean, you, uh, you you need to be physical, uh, physically healthy and also also mentally uh, healthy. Um, and, and not sitting in the front seat, but in the back seat, that's, uh, obviously much easier and you can reflect on things um so um yeah i, I enjoy being a non-exec definitely for a, and, for a while at least and you talked about how the early days of bucks were actually relatively smooth uh, and that things got tougher as the company got bigger and more complex what can you recall perhaps you know in the years that you've been doing this now what for eight years uh you know perhaps some of the biggest challenges were there any you know dark times few moments when you thought that this you know this is just too much we just can't keep going at this yeah yeah so so um one of the things that happened is that um uh, like i mentioned in our first app we we don't offer uh, offer real shares but we offer derivatives and i remember that uh i mean apple is an american company and the, the derivatives we offer are, are uh, uh, mainly traded in Europe. So Apple didn't really um, uh, wasn't wasn't really familiar with these these derivatives. Um, and they uh, uh, we got a phone call from them, and uh, basically um, uh, they were saying we're we're not, we're not allowing uh, companies offering these derivatives anymore in the App Store. And I mean we had two uh, uh, two distribution channels, Google and Apple. So there was quite a, um, let's call it a fight for a couple of months to, to, to educate Apple about, about what these derivatives are about. And that was a super stressful period. Yeah. And th- forgive me, the, these were contracts for difference, were they CFDs, which I think yes. might not be allowed in the, in the US? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And did you, how did you get Apple to kind of um, see things your way? Yeah, so we were very lucky to have an investor on board that uh, had a background in, in, in the games world, and uh, they had good connections at Apple. So we basically told Apple that that uh, unfortunately, that in, in the CFD world, there are there are some bad players, but also a lot of good players, and these good players they are licensed. Uh, so we 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 we, we help them to understand the the, the entire uh, uh, regulatory framework in Europe, uh, how, how things. Uh, how licenses work, and and then then they at the end they said so every CFD broker that has a license uh, is allowed to offer its services in the App Store. 
but that took us three months and and it's not that easy to easy to reach people at, at apple it's a bit of a black box um so um just before leaving on christmas holiday uh, or actually when i had a stopover in singapore we actually we we, we did go to asia then i uh i uh, i turned on my phone and i saw a whatsapp message from a colleague that apple uh approved everything that was the best christmas holiday i, I, I ever had and during those three months uh you were kind of offline or you couldn't offer cfds or you no, were no, kind we, of just on probation we were, we were online but we couldn't um we couldn't uh put our app in the app store, let's say new versions of the app in the app store right uh and i mean just how devastating would it have been i mean was it was that like a near-death experience for for bucks, if Apple had said uh, nah, no, then we would have. I mean, we, we would have to start offering different instruments like shares or ETFs. But obviously, that's not something you do overnight. Um. So, uh, so it, uh, yeah, it would, would, would basically we, we, we would have to shut off our, our, uh, um, uh, yeah, our, our, our iOS uh, channel, which, which, yeah, that, that would be definitely have a big impact on, uh, on us. So that that was a biggie, and maybe another one is um, we we raised funding, but uh, the funding was dependent on getting a specific license uh, in, in in the Netherlands, and uh, usually it takes three months to get a license. I mean, a little bit more, maybe four or five months, but at the end it took us much longer, so the the uh, the funding didn't come through. Uh, that was also quite nerve uh, nerve wracking. Um, so, uh, and including the, the acquisition that I was just talking about, buying that company uh, with, with that just IPO'd in Singapore. Those were, uh, yeah, then, then it's good to have a great team and to have people around you. And so at what point, you know, when, when all of these issues were resolved, whether it's uh, with Apple or whether it's with fundraising, I mean, at what point, at what year maybe you can tell us or when it was that you felt that, okay, we're safe now. We've made it. Now we can just kind of look to the future and uh, turn this into a big business. Yeah, I mean, in the meantime, we grew. We grew really fast. So, for example, um, uh, when that that thing with Apple happened, uh, that was that was just in the middle of the of the uh, the crypto hype. So it, it, it was really weird because we offered derivatives on crypto, and and the, the business was growing like crazy. Whereas on the other hand, uh, we had this issue. Um, yeah, I, I think there are always ups and downs, and, and uh, last year was a great year. And I mean, I mean, Bucks is definitely here to stay. I mean, I mean, uh, but but there will will always be challenges. So I'm always careful about saying we we're there now, we've made it, because I think I don't think you you you've ever made it. Always keep have to have to be careful. Very, very wise, I'm sure. I mean, what is next for Bucks? You talked about uh, maybe you've been scarred by the experience of the broker that you bought that kind of went downhill after IPOing because it sucked up so much uh, in terms of you know money and energy and uh, you know the attention of of the team there. Would an IPO be on the cards now for Buck for Bucks for perhaps uh, uh, going via a SPAC, which I know maybe not as uh, cool as they were a few months ago, but uh, perhaps would would offer you an Never. option. We're approached by a lot of, of, of bankers uh, offering us uh, or who want to discuss a, a, a spec construction with us. I mean, we, we've just raised a fabulous round of funding. I mean, $80 million is, is, is a really large amount. Uh, um, and 
the focus is on the business now. Uh, the focus is on, on, on rolling out throughout Europe, becoming a, a leading neo broker in Europe. Uh, that's what we want now. And um, uh, we, I mean, I mean, raising funding I mean, is it, very distracting, takes up a lot of your time. And at, at the end, uh, we need to, uh, I mean, at the end, we want to make customers happy. We want to make uh, help people building up their financial future. That, that's, that's more important. So for now, no, uh, no funding adventures for the next, uh, let's say, the next uh, few months. I was just I was just reading a great uh, commentary from uh, the journalist Matt Levine at uh, Bloomberg talking about how so you know SPACs are, have got all this money and they're desperate to do deals now because if they don't do deals by a certain time they have to return the money yeah. and the person founding the SPAC is not going to make their twenty percent and so talking about how this company you know one particular company uh, called Delphix was kind of getting loads of calls about going public by a SPAC and saying, no, they're not interested. And, uh, but actually if, if Shaquille O'Neal had called, cause obviously a lot of celebrities have kind of gone in with some SPACs. If he'd called them, then he'd have taken that call, even if he wasn't particularly keen to, uh, to get involved with, with SPACs. So maybe, maybe they need to, uh, get someone famous to call you up to see if, uh, if that <laughs> would uh, sway you and that would work. Um, so, uh, and I think this year you also, um, you know, I don't know if there is a greater, accolade uh, in the netherlands uh, you were even kind of endorsed by by your queen yes yes yeah yes yeah, so, yeah, so recently we there was the the the, the, the fintech week the dutch uh, fintech week um and our queen um, um she uh, she gave a speech and uh, she mentioned us so uh, that's i mean that that's really amazing to be uh, be mentioned by uh, by queen maxima in her, uh, her her speech um yeah that's very flattering I can just imagine her, you know, when the other royals are in another room, maybe on the Bucks app uh, trading. Uh, <laughs> the, family, um, the, the, the royal Dutch family is pretty wealthy, so I'm, I'm sure they have uh, plenty of funds to uh, put onto a Bucks account. I'm, I'm sure they do. So I think you mentioned that you're planning to take a, a couple of years out or sabbatical. I mean, in, in Asia, what, what are you what are you going to be doing there for the next couple of years? Yeah. So, so my uh, my wife and myself we're, we're big Bali fans. Uh, we uh, we've spent uh, apart from this year because of COVID, we spent every uh, every Christmas and uh, and New Year's uh, holiday on Bali. Um, so we're going there for two years uh, to uh, unwind a little bit, but. Uh, also to, uh, I mean, there are a lot of entrepreneurs around there. I mean, Singapore is, is a fintech hub. So I also want to, want to, want to coach people to help people. It's not just, it's not like, it's not going to be a holiday of two years, uh, but it's, 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 it's definitely going to be more relaxed than, than the past, uh, the past four or five years. All right. And your whole family's moving there with you? Yes. I'm moving with my, uh, uh, 15, 14, and 11-year-old uh, 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 kids. So they're going to international school there. Um, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, well, absolutely. Let's, Looking forward to it. Let, let's hope they've got some tennis courts. Um, oh, they do. <laughs> look, they do. Uh, <laughs> although it's pretty warm there. Well, Nick, this is the uh, kind of final question I put to everyone on the FN Tech podcast. Uh, and the question is, what is the weirdest or craziest thing you've uh, ever built or done in your life? Yeah, so um, I think back then it didn't seem that weird. But if I look back, I mean, I uh, I, 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 uh, I used to have music lessons at, 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 at primary school and I wanted to play the guitar. And then my uh, my teacher said that I didn't have an absolute hearing 
he, he thought that you need an absolute hearing for to play the guitar. So uh, uh, I choose to play the accordion. So I played accordion for four four years. Uh, I can even play a tango. Um, and if I look back now, it's it's a shame that I never learned to how to play the guitar because uh, uh, accordion was not what the not the most sexy instrument uh, back then. Well, if you can uh, if you can play uh, a tango, then maybe that's something else your your queen would appreciate from. Uh... From Absolutely. Bucks as well. <laughs> she loves tango. She's from Argentina. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so everything she needs from uh, from Bucks and from your accordion playing. Uh, but look, uh, Nick, we're, we're more or less uh, out of time. Just as the sirens are going past my window, so I really just want to thank you um, for joining me for taking the time to uh, speak to us uh, on the FNTech podcast. So uh, Nick Bortot, founder and non-executive board member of Bucks, thank you so much for joining me on the FNTech podcast. Pleasure, Elliot. Thank you so much. Thank you. You take care. For all the comparisons, it strikes me that Bucks is simultaneously Europe's Robin Hood for its size, scope and simplicity. And it's anti-Robin Hood because it doesn't get paid for order flow, promotes investor education and encourages investment for the long term. In that sense, it's a bit like Schrodinger's cat being alive and dead at the same time. So maybe we should call it Schrodinger's app? So thank you, Nick Bortot, and thank you for listening to the FinTech podcast with me, Elliot Gotkin, now part of the Paris FinTech Forum Communities Programme. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can get updates and listen to all previous episodes via the website, www.parisfintechforum.com. If you've got any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can find us on LinkedIn and on Twitter, at ParisFinForum or at Elliot Gotkin. That's it from me. Thanks again to BPI France for sponsoring this podcast. We'll be back again next week for more of the best F in tech. Hope you'll join us again then. Bye-bye.